4: From KQED in San Francisco, I'm politics editor Scott Schaefer, in for Alexis Madrigal. We've all seen the videos of organized mobs or individuals brazenly going into an Apple store, a high-end clothing or jewelry store, smashing glass cases or ripping iPhones off their cords, and racing outside to a waiting car. There's a lot of debate about whether shoplifting or so-called smash-and-grabs are really on the rise or just more widely seen, and if they are more common, why? One thing's for sure, there's a growing chorus of calls for legislation in Sacramento to address it, and this time it's coming from Democrats, including Governor Newsom. We'll explore the perceived rise in retail theft and calls to address it on Forum right after this news. Good morning and welcome to Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer, and today for Alexis Madrigal. Well, anyone who's walked into a drugstore lately and found... Pretty much anything you'd want to be locked up knows that shoplifting is a major concern of retail stores. But stealing a tube of toothpaste is very different from what we've seen in these viral videos where an organized group of people storm a retail outlet and make off with expensive cell phones, jewelry, or clothing. And so this hour, we're going to dig into the claims that retail theft, including shoplifting and so-called smash and grabs, are up, what law enforcement is or is not doing about it, and whether the best way to address the problem is through statewide legislation or a new ballot measure or maybe better law enforcement. And joining us first is Assemblyman Rick Zabur from Los Angeles. He chairs the Assembly's Select Committee on Retail Theft. Assemblyman Zabur, welcome.
5: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
4: Yeah, well, first of all, I want to hear what you as chair of that committee have been hearing from retailers as you've gone about listening to their concerns.
5: Well, you know, I think, um, you know, the data is mixed. In some places in the state, it shows that shoplifting has gone down a bit. Other places, it shows that it's going up. Other statistics show that, uh, you know, robbery with the use of force is going up. Um, It's clearly going up, at least in some pockets of the state. Um, and we know that because uh, retailers, in my mind, don't have an incentive to do what we are seeing in our stores. When you go in and you see, you know, baby shampoo and baby formula and their body washes locked up in cabinets, um, you know, retailers don't have an incentive to spend all that money to spend the extra amounts that they need to man those shelves to bear the consumer. Um, frustration and discontent and even fear, and to lose the sales that they lose when they lock up their product. So we know that, um, that there's a problem that we have to address, and that's why Speaker Rebus formed the committee that I chair um, and asked us to act with urgency uh, to come up with fact-based, real, effective solutions to try to address this problem. And Speaker Rebus and I are jointly authoring a bill that we uh, announced last week um, that uh, is really a fairly comprehensive um, package of things that we will be moving through the legislature this cycle.
4: And I want to ask you about that. But first, you know, you talked about retailers not having an incentive to lock things up because it costs them money and so on. But at the same time, we've seen real questions about some of the data put forward by the National Retail Federation. Walgreens uh, last year or the year before said they were closing a bunch of stores in San Francisco due to retail theft. And then they later backtracked on a call with investors saying that they were overstating the problem. So how how do you know what the real data are?
5: Well, I mean, I've I've visited oh, probably you know half a dozen um, <clears throat> large retailers now. Um, in my district, I've gone in and I've seen the records that they have in their loss prevention departments, and I see basically theft after theft after theft that basically um, are have been recorded uh, and reported, but that nothing is happening because of the you know the, the lack of uh, focus on prosecuting misdemeanor crimes. Um, so. You know, even though shoplifting is going down in some areas, and I don't know this, but at least from the experience that I've had, and I think the experience that we all see um, in what's happening in our stores, um, I, th- I think that we actually have a problem that we need to that we need to grapple with. Um,
4: but well, let me just ask because I think the the bill that you and the speaker uh, spoke about would address these so called professional retail theft rings. But then a moment ago you said there's been a lack of focus on prosecuting misdemeanor crimes like shoplifting. Those are two very different things, right?
5: Not necessarily. I mean, a lot of folks come in. I mean, the you know, uh, stealing $950 worth of merchandise is a quite a bit of merchandise, and those are all misdemeanor crimes. Um, and frankly, you know, we we but we also know that you know, uh, extending prison terms isn't something that results in deterrence. I mean, the studies have shown, and it's pretty clear. That the best thing to deter crime is a certainty of actually getting caught and the certainty of there being a consequence. So I think the package that we have um, is really focused on uh, making sure that we've got the tools for uh, to, to address these um, these rings of professional thieves, as well as uh, we have components in that basically are addressing those that are not in those in those rings. Um, and I, and I think many of the solutions. Are similar
4: what would uh, you know when you say addressing these professional rings what what would be the solution how would you increase the deterrence
5: well first of all we uh, our bill um, incorporates uh, uh, our version of a proposal that Governor Newsom had in his package which would create a new felony crime for unlawfully possessing stolen property with the intent to sell um, it specifies that the evidence of intent can include repeated conduct or possession of quantities of goods that are inconsistent with personal use so this is actually getting at you know folks that are doing this repeatedly and ha- are in the business of stealing as opposed to you know people that are actually um you know down on their luck and actually um you know are crimes more of survival it doesn't require proof that the dependent acted in concert with another person because we know that a lot of these folks are doing things alone and it's really hard to show who they're fencing it with and it applies to both retail thieves and the secondary sellers. So that's the key cornerstone. It includes also um, uh, other uh, an issue called aggregation where we actually allow we make it easier for uh, law enforcement folks to um prosecute multiple crimes together um to get over the the, uh, the you know the, the the felony limit um and so we're making modifications to that. Um we uh, also uh, allow courts to impose longer terms of supervision for petty theft and shoplifting crimes to make sure that diversion programs uh, can be accommodated and are more successful. Um, and it also makes it easier for law enforcement to arrest and detain shoplifting suspects and strains laws to, to combat online fencing. And so we, that's a big component yeah. as well.
4: Okay, good. Well, that helps set the table for our conversation. Assemblyman Rick Zabur from Los Angeles, he chairs the Assembly Select Committee on Retail Theft. Thanks so much for joining us.
5: You're welcome, Scott. Thank you for having me.
4: You bet. All right, let's broaden out the conversation a little bit. Uh, Here with me in the studio is Marisa Lagos, politics correspondent, co-host of Political Breakdown. Marisa, good to have you.
3: Thanks for having me, Scott.
4: Also here is Sharis Kubrin, uh, professor at the University of uh, UC... Irvine, Department of Criminology, Law, and Society. Professor, good to have you here as well.
6: Happy to be here. Thank you.
4: Maurice. I want to begin with you. You've been digging into this issue uh, of retail theft and what works, what doesn't work, what the numbers are. Um, I'm just wondering, what's your reaction to what you just heard from Assemblyman Zabur?
3: I mean, a lot of what he and the Speaker and the Governor, um, for that matter, are proposing does track with what I heard and found in my research, that, you know, We do have clearly a problem that has developed. I mean, you cannot deny what we've seen with our own eyes, right? I think, you know, we can talk more about the data and if some retailers have maybe overstated things in certain situations. But I do think that there's clearly um, been a shift. And I'm talking really about smash and grabs in like recent years, um, really around the pandemic, where we saw this sort of Uh, like, I don't, I don't even know, like, like a culture shift happened and people, you know, were sort of organizing these flash mobs often on, um, uh, you know, on social media. um, And it, and it clearly has been an issue. And it's not just in California. We've seen this across the nation. Um, But in general, you know, I dug very deep into the legacy of Prop 47. We're coming up on its 10-year anniversary. This was the 2014 ballot measure to lower uh, the penalties for simple shoplifting and a lot of drug possession crimes from felonies to misdemeanors. Um, And I did find that, you know, for example, what they're talking about, this idea that somebody can repeatedly go in and steal something and just never face a felony, that's a real concern. and that's something law enforcement, um, I think, you know, even folks who back back Prop 47 say that law enforcement should have that ability. And so far under case law and existing law, they just haven't been able to. Can
4: that be tweaked with legislation or do we need to go back to the voters for that?
3: I mean, it seems, you know, never say never. Anything can result in a lawsuit, but it seems based on what. Basically what the legislature already did, because a couple of years ago, they actually passed a law that said, hey, you can aggregate charges. The problem was, and we might hear more about this later from our district attorney on the show, um, it essentially said you had to prove that somebody came in with the same intent uh, in these multiple situations. And it was just really hard to prove. It's hard to get in someone's mind. And so what I heard was that that was, you know, kind of impossible. So I do think that that's probably possible to tweak through the legislature. I mean, the other big thing, though, I do want to highlight and we can get into other details and other findings, but is what Assemblyman Zabur said about what deters people. And I think this is really important. We can have a conversation about sentencing reform and punishment, and that is obviously always part of the criminal justice conversation. But Look at somewhere like San Francisco, where we saw some of the worst smash and grabs in 2022 at the end of that year. This year, 2023, they flooded the zone. They had police in Union Square, they had police in Macy's, in other department stores, they worked with retailers. We saw those numbers plummet, whether it's simple shoplifting or bigger organized retail crime. And so I really think we can't ignore how much policing matters here. So the fear
4: um, of getting caught.
3: Yeah. Policing presence knowing. Yeah. If you think you can walk in and steal something and walk out, uh, it probably does sort of result in a wide range of types of crimes, whether they be low level or high level. Um, but if you know that there are police there um, and and they're going to arrest you, you're a lot less likely to try.
4: Um, Professor Kubrin, do you agree with that notion that, uh, you know, the reason we're seeing this uptick, especially in these smash and grab flash mob kind of Uh, operations is that there is a lack of fear of getting caught or is it something else?
6: Well, I, that's always part of it, but I, you know, it's always usually much more complex than one single force at hand. I, I, I think that is part of it, but there's other factors at play. One is the diffusion of the images around smash and grabs that go viral on social media that are played over and over in the news that create kind of a life of their own. And this diffusion can be very powerful. It can encourage other folks to do it. And this is why we see smash and grabs not just happening in California, but around the country. So many factors and forces are at play.
4: And so you're saying that the social media, the viral video thing maybe exaggerates the problem or gives people a heightened sense of the problem?
6: Oh, absolutely. And it not only does that, but it encourages people who maybe had never thought of that idea to think about that idea. And this is why you have examples of smash and grabs in small towns throughout the United States. So it's not the only reason, the diffusion of uh, in social media, but the fact yeah. that smash and grabs have received such outsized scrutiny in the media yeah. relative to their occurrence is certainly part of the puzzle.
4: All right, we're gonna take a break and when we come back, we'll continue this conversation. We'll also bring in a district attorney from Yolo County. And we'd love to hear from you. Do you feel less safe when you're shopping? Have you changed your shopping habits? Or if you work in retail, What's been your experience with theft or efforts to prevent it? Give us a call at 866-733-6786. Again, it's 866-733-6786. Or you can reach us on all the social media channels. We're at KQED Forum.
0: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera.
4: And welcome back to Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer, here for Alexis Madrigal this hour. We're talking about retail theft of all kinds, everything from sort of simple shoplifting to these smash-and-grab rings that you've seen on television and in viral videos. Uh, joining me this hour is Shares Kubrin. She's a professor at the University of California, Irvine, Department of Criminology, Law and Society. Also, Marisa Lagos, KQED politics correspondent. And let's bring in Jeff Reisig. He is district attorney of Yolo County up near Sacramento. And uh, DA Reisig, thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me.
4: Let me also want to give out the phone number one more time before I get to you. Uh, Again, it's 866-733-6786. If you'd like to join us with your thoughts, 866-733-6786. How do you think law enforcement and retailers should be addressing this problem? Have you ever seen something like that happen while you were out shopping? Give us a call or find us on social media. We're at KQED Forum. So, District Attorney Reisig, first of all, um, what are your thoughts on the, the the root cause of this? What law enforcement is doing or prevented from doing from Prop uh, 47 or anything else?
2: Well, it's really clear to me. And first of all, I've been a, a district attorney, and elected DA in California for 18 years. I'm one of the longest serving. And so I was a DA before Prop 47, and I'm a DA now. And I'm telling you unequivocally, Uh, From the front lines, and it's not just my opinion, it's police and sheriffs and VAs. the root cause of the retail theft crisis is Prop 47 in California. And it started in 2014. And the only way we can fix this is by going back to the ballot and making some amendments to it.
4: What is it about Prop 47 that makes it, as you say, the root cause of this?
2: Yeah, the biggest thing that Prop 47 did was it eliminated our ability in law enforcement to treat recidivists, more seriously. And so what I mean by that is after Prop 47, somebody can go into a store and steal every day, uh, seven days a week, every day of the year. And as long as it's under $950, it's a misdemeanor. And in California, a misdemeanor is a ticket. It's a notice to appear. And so we've essentially, we're in a situation now where a first time offender is being treated the same as somebody that steals every single day uh, and, and that's not working. and It's what's fueled this crisis. That's the big root problem.
4: So you're less concerned about <laughs> this uh, raising the threshold for charging as a felony from $400 to 950 A lot of people have over the years complained about that, although it's much lower still than Texas. It's less than half of what it is in Texas.
2: Right. Yeah, the threshold is not the issue. It's never been the issue from my perspective. It's the, the recidivists. It's the people that are stealing again and again that we are not allowed to treat differently under California law. And that's, just to be clear, that can only be fixed by going back to the ballot. And so while I really appreci- appreciate Assemblymember uh, Zabur acknowledging that there's a problem, they just can't fix this in the legislature. We've got to go to the ballot. And there's only two ways to do that, through a people's initiative, which I'm involved with now, or you know the legislature could do it If they passed a bill and then got it on the ballot themselves, but they've indicated no desire to do that.
4: But just I do want to go to the calls, but just to be clear, I mean, when you see these smash and grab rings, these organized retail theft mobs, they go in, they're walking out with a lot. I mean, that that is that is a felony. Right. There's no question about that. So why is there a problem prosecuting that?
2: It's not always a felony. You have to look very carefully if they go in and steal under nine hundred fifty dollars. That's still a misdemeanor. Now, if you can prove that they are conspiring together, perhaps you could get to a felony. But it's not just a simple matter of, oh, it's always if a smash and grab occurs, it's always a felony. You have to be able to prove that each individual take more than $950 or were they clearly conspiring together. That's not always as easy to prove as pundits suggest it is. And my, my view on this is what we've seen with the smashing grabs and the increase is it's a direct result of the, essentially the increase in, in lawlessness as a result of Prop 47, which has eliminated accountability for the serious recidivist.
4: All right. We want to go to the phones. And again, the number is 866-733-6786. And we're going to start in San Francisco with Christina. Welcome.
7: Hey, thank you so much for having me. I just wanted to shed some light on not only like the larger retailers and the smash and grabs, but also the small to medium sized businesses that maybe don't have the resources to deal with a lot of this. Um, We own businesses in San Francisco as well as in New York. And I also want to shed light on how different things are handled with theft between the two coasts. Aside from that, just like You know, you have to advocate for yourself because the police won't come. Currently, we have a case where we have this wealthy girl who steals from us. Our staff snapped a picture of her getting into her BMW, leaving the store. We have all of this video footage and everything, and she still hasn't been arrested. She's taken over a few weeks, over $2,000 from our stores um, it's clearly not somebody who's trying to put food on the table or somebody who's trying to resell goods. She's just taking it for herself because she can, because there is no police presence and there is no repercussion. So you're that's saying incredibly frustrating.
4: So you're saying you call the police and they say what?
7: So we have case numbers and she came back to our stores a few weeks ago. We got her in the fitting room, called the cops. They didn't show up. She went to our other store a few blocks away. We called the cops. They didn't come. We weren't able to catch her. I just think it's unfortunate because, uh, you know, aside from putting the videos on social media, we would probably be able to catch her ourselves, but there's a lot of repercussions that come with that. We could end up on trial for something else doing that. Right, well, you don't want to try to catch our own (laughs) thief.
8: You don't (laughs) want to do that.
4: But Marisa, this really brings to light Something you found in your research, which is that police response and clearance rates and arrests have really gone down over this period of time that, you know, Prop 47 has been in effect.
3: Yeah. And one thing I'll mention um, that I I think this this retailers grappling with is that it's very hard to make uh, an arrest in a misdemeanor if a police officer did not sort of witness the crime. And that is something that the Zabur legislation is trying to get at. Um, but yeah, overall, I mean, clearance rates have gone down significantly over the past 20 years, um, while we're at least reported simple shoplifting has not. Uh, so that means the percentage of what's reported getting, you know, actually resulting in an arrest. So we know that in 2013, statewide all larceny thefts, um, about 15 percent of them resulted in an arrest. That's down to 6.6 percent in 2022. You know, I think that uh, police have a lot of priorities to juggle. We definitely see understaffing as a big problem. This is something, you know, I hear a lot from law enforcement. Um, They have to make the call. Obviously, if there's a violent crime at the same time as a shoplifting report, they're going to respond to the violent crime. Um, But I also hear this from retailers, this very big frustration that even when they essentially catch somebody red-handed. Police won't engage. Or on the flip side, we do hear complaints, especially for the big-box stores. I mean, you heard this retailer say, I don't want to get in trouble for this, right? And so there's definitely been some also conflict between um, law enforcement and big-box stores like Target and others where you know they want to respond and arrest somebody, and the store is saying, actually, no, we don't want you to put handcuffs on someone in a store with people taking videos. Yeah, you know? exactly.
4: Well, Christina, a couple things. One, first of all, I'm really sorry this is happening to you, and it sounds Sounds like it's you know been happening for a while. And, but at the beginning, you said that what happens in on the East Coast, New York, I don't know if it's New York City or somewhere else, but like, what is the difference?
7: You know, they show up immediately and they're not playing around. Like they, the opening day on one of our stores in, in Manhattan, they came in and caught a shoplifter, cuffed her in the store, like Marisa was talking about, walked her out. Everybody's taking video. It's just a deterrent. They've even taken our staff before into the cop car and been like, let's go find this person right now. And like that, that sense of urgency just isn't here in San Francisco. And you know, from what I hear, like people don't want to be cops, and they don't want to pay attention to this because it's not urgent enough. But unfortunately, it's not friendly to business, and I think we'll see a lot of other businesses leaving the Bay Area if there's not attention on this, because smaller ones can't afford to take the hit like a Walgreens or a Nordstrom or any of these other big companies that go through smash and grabs.
4: Yeah, and can I just say, you said dressing rooms, so I assume you have a clothing store. Like, what how, what neighborhood is yeah. it in or neighborhoods?
7: Just curious. Really good ones, the best ones. The <laughs> best ones you can be on. Best <laughs> shopping blocks, that's all I'll say.
4: Yeah, all right. Well, thanks so much. Oh, just one last thing, because it is such an compelling story. If you had the police chief, Bill Scott, here, what would you say to him?
7: I would say, please run the plate, cuff and and... and Arrest the girl, and I want to see her in court. I'm getting my money back.
4: Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much. Thanks for hanging in there too. I'm sure it's incredibly frustrating. Thanks,
7: thanks for featuring the story. I appreciate yeah, you guys. Right,
4: thanks so much. Um, let me just ask you, Jeff Rice, you, you know, you heard this story. H- how much of a difference do you see among jurisdictions? You know, county to county. Uh, that story was from San Francisco. Maybe it's different in Yolo, or maybe it's different in Riverside, or San Bernardino, or L.A. I mean, what do you hear from your fellow DAs?
2: Yeah, unfortunately, what we just heard is a very common story um, across the state, and it again it comes to the root problem of Prop 47 when it when it decriminalized or lessened the penalty for these theft crimes to a misdemeanor. It's really it's a policy statement, you know, by our our electorate and our and our legislature that these are just not that serious. And Marissa hit on it. Um, there is a a real issue with understaffing of police across California, and then on top of that they're dealing with the most serious crime as the top priority. And so if they get a call or a dispatch for a theft from a store that in most cases is just a misdemeanor, they're not going to respond. And, and so that's just the sad reality. And the way we change that is by focusing again on making this type of theft a policy priority. And we do that by bringing back petty theft with a priority. Can, I, can, can construct- I
1: jump
6: in and respond to that? Sure, and then yeah. Sorry, just I've been... Wanting to respond to that because I I agree, I think we can all agree there's a, a problem, the magnitude of the problem, we can debate what I think there's a lot of disagreement about is the cause of the problem. And I completely disagree that Prop 47 is to blame in terms of understanding these trends in retail theft. And I let me explain why. First of all, Prop 47 was passed in 2014. This is a long time ago. It's We started to see concerns about retail theft in 2022. They continue today. Why the lag? If Prop 47 was a problem, why did it take that many years to start experiencing problems around retail theft? A second reason is that a recent um, report by the Public Policy Institute of California which shows crime trends in retail theft across the state, found significant variability county by county, even city by city in terms of retail theft trends. Prop 47 is a statewide policy. If it was to blame for problems of retail theft, it would have a statewide effect. It wouldn't have this patchwork effect this patchwork effect suggests that it's more local factors that are contributing to the problems of retail theft. Hmm.
4: Marisa, what are your thoughts about? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, third thing. Yeah,
6: sorry, just two more. If Prop 47 were to blame we would expect to see increases specifically in the crime of shoplifting. That PPIC report shows that shoplifting has generally remained steady except in the last year where it's ticked up a little bit. It's really commercial robbery and commercial burglary and organized retail theft where we see the big jumps in crime. None of those have really anything to do with Prop 47 given that Prop 47 involves merchandise $950 or under. We also see smash and grabs and other things happening in states that don't have Prop 47. This is happening around the country. So how do you explain these smash and grabs appearing in other states? And then finally, and most importantly, the studies that have been done on the impact of Prop 47 in terms of public safety find that it has had very minimal impact on property crime. And that's really for the crime of motor vehicle theft. Mm. So, And I've done a lot of this research myself. So I really think while we can talk about the problem, it's um, unfair to place the blame on Prop 47 as the main cause.
4: Well, that's a whole lot to respond to, Marisa, but uh, pick one or two things. And, And this idea that it's more of a local issue and that it really is, you know, the data don't support all this concern or criticism of Prop 47.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's hard because we can only rely on the data we have. And I think it's clear from my conversations and a lot of anecdotal and and in some cases, you know, Zabra was talking about going to these stores and seeing evidence where they have documented these things, but maybe not reported them to police. Like, it's likely that the shoplifting numbers are not fully encompassing. It's also that may be the case back, you know, back years. I mean, I guess one thing I would sort of ask DA Recyc to to respond to, like, how would making this a felony change police staffing? I mean, police, like we talked about, have to make choices. They have priorities. Simply saying that something is a felony, I mean, in itself doesn't mean that you have more available officers or resources.
4: Jeff Reising?
2: Yeah. So two things. First of all, regarding um the professor's comment on the data, if you actually look at what happened after Prop 47 passed in November of 2014, there actually was an increase in reported theft after that. It was a brief spike, and then you start to see a steady decline in shoplifting reports. That's an absolute fact. And the reason for that, for my 18 years as a DA, is that there is an underreporting epidemic among retailers because they know if they report it, there's not likely to be a police response And even if somebody's caught, nothing's likely to happen. Meaning even if somebody was to show up in court, most don't, and they're convicted, they're going to do little to no jail time because of Prop 47. And that all directly relates to your question, Marissa, about the police response. If we had a felony, again, for the recidivist, I'm not talking about first or second time offenders. I'm talking about people who steal all the time. If we had a felony option, you're going to get a police response because that is a more serious crime. And then when that person is caught convicted, they're going to face real jail time and real consequences. And we know one of the principles of criminal justice is deterrence works. Okay. Right now, we don't have it.
4: Sorry, the phone lines are full. So I Mm -hmm. want to get to some of our listeners. Let's go to Union City now and Aubrey, welcome.
9: Hi, um, yeah, I, I've worked in, uh, mall security for a very long time and one of the things I wanted to, um, and I'm glad you guys are talking about this, I, I just wanted to shed some light on the challenging element of ORC, or organized retail crime, is the recruitment of juveniles, mm-hmm. and, and and that could be from your larger takeover style, going into a store with a group of eight or nine, or it could be as simple as, you know, um, bringing in your younger family member and stealing. So I just wanted to kind of shed light on the recruitment of juveniles and and, and, and how different Prosecution-wise,
4: um, that is face. Yeah, Aubrey, let me just ask you: as a security guard, like, what are you told by your employer in terms of how to confront these things? Um, well, we've
9: we've come a long way in in the the position. with the company stands as, just
4: hands off, observe and report. So don't don't get involved. We, we saw that tragedy at the Walgreens in San Francisco, where the. The guard shot and killed someone who was stealing a very small amount of merchandise. Uh, Would you think that had an impact on your, you know, your line of work? Uh, I think it just reiterates the fact of just observing and reporting and and calling police when it's safe to do so. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for the call. Appreciate it. And, Marisa, that goes to your point of, uh, you know, deterrence. I mean, if people see a security guard and there does seem to be a sense that they're not going to maybe intervene, they're not going to do anything, they can't arrest you. That that's, you know, maybe encourages this kind of stuff.
3: Yeah. And I think whatever side you're on of this policy debate, I think we should agree that it's probably not really fair to expect somebody, you know, working off in a minimum wage job to sort of put themselves on the line. I mean, we saw a security guard killed out in Concord at a Home Depot during a theft a couple years ago. Um, And so I do think, you know, that between that and you mentioned the Banco Brown case where the security guard actually uh, shot a suspected shoplifter, I think that there's, you know, a lot of concern. Uh, Most of these security companies are contracted by the retailers. They don't work directly for them. Um, And from what I've heard talking to security guards, the guidance and Rules are constantly changing, both from the security company and from the company they contract with. And,
4: and DA Rice, any thoughts about what the caller mentioned about this uh, recruitment of juveniles and how that complicates things for law enforcement?
2: Well, it is a fact we have a, seen a, a big increase in juvenile, um, you know, groups going in and stealing. But it, it all, again, it just tracks back to the lack of accountability and deterrence for these crimes and. You know, I've as told Marissa before. I mean, this culture of lawlessness that we've seen erupt in California, and more than any other place in the country, by the way, our data on retail theft leads the nation. It, it's rooted back in the lack of accountability.
4: All right. We are going to continue this conversation. We've uh, got one open line. If you want to try to join us, give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786, or you can reach out on social media as well. We're at KQED Forum. We're going to continue this conversation about retail theft, how bad the problem is, why it is what it is, and what to do about it. I'm Scott Schaefer here this hour for Alexis Madrigal. We'll be right back. And we continue our conversation about retail theft. My guest this hour is uh, Arsharis Kubrin, uh, professor in the criminology Criminology law and society department at UC Irvine, Jeff Reisig, uh, DA in Yolo County, and Marisa Lagos here at KQED, political correspondent. And let's go to the phones, and we're going to go to the East Bay, Oakland. Zavi, welcome.
7: Hi, this is Zavi. Zavi, sorry. Um, No worries. It's not spelled how it sounds. Um, But I just wanted to share that I was in Starbucks on Broadway next to Sprouts, just working, drinking my coffee. There was a few other people in there. And these four young girls came in and started stealing all of the merchandise. I was in shock because that hasn't happened to me before. And I went up to the workers after and they're like, yeah, they're like 15. They come in all the time. We report it, but nothing's ever done. And so my perspective, the first thing I thought were was, where are the parents? These are really young girls. And where is the deterrent in school or in programs in the community before we just think about prosecuting them? And is there any data on how young or how old um, these people are that are stealing?
4: Yeah. Wow. That must have been intense to witness that. Um, Marisa, any thoughts about that? I mean, uh, you know, obviously, again, we get into this how complicated these issues are, issues of where are the parents, what are the ages of the kids, where is the law enforcement? I mean, there's so many layers to this.
3: Yeah. And I mean, I do think that, you know, it's important to note that you know, if we talk about 47 specifically, part of the goal of that was to reduce the number of people who were locked up in jails and prisons and to put the savings from, uh, you know, fewer people being incarcerated into programs. Um, I recently toured a couple of a couple of those re programs in L.A. and they're incredibly successful. I mean, folks who participate in them um, get, you know, wraparound services, everything from help getting jobs and housing to medical care and mental health and behavioral health care. Drug, you know, substance abuse treatment. Um, and their likelihood of being rearrested and convicted within three years is around, I think, 8% um, compared to over 40% if you just get out of prison. So... A lot of these programs work. I think, you know, what the caller's kind of getting at is, like, so much of what we're talking about here, as Chara said, has sort of multiple causes and entry points. You know, there's poverty, there's drug addiction, there's, um, you know, obviously crimes of opportunity. And and I think we have to, you know, we talked about, like, the way that... viral videos and social media has sort of given uh, a place for a lot of this content to live and to sort of spread. Um, It's also true that, you know, shopping has changed. Retail markets have changed. People are doing more shopping online. That's given an outlet to sell these goods often, right? And so part of what I hear uh, in Washington, D.C. and in Sacramento from policymakers is also, you know, a desire to ensure that these retailers are good actors, that they can prove that what they're selling isn't stolen, um, that they're actually doing due diligence around that. And, you know, I think when you sort of t- start talking about all of this, and then we can go on, <laughs> you know, lack of education system, historical sort of poverty, poverty and, sure. and, you know, there's yep. so many factors yeah. at play.
4: Zavi, thanks so much for the call. Really appreciate that. Uh, let's go back to the calls now. And Michael in San Francisco, you're next hi
8: yeah um i just wanted to talk about something that hasn't been brought up yet i know the da mentioned that after prop 47 someone can go into a store seven days a week and steal every single day and never be charged but i did want to point out that larger retail stores many of which are saying they have to close down due to organized theft actually have a policy of case building which means that they track how much someone shoplift over time, and once it passes the total of $950, they do charge them with felonies. So this idea that someone can steal seven days a week every single day as much as they want to isn't true, as these stores that have these resources actually do build cases and charge people with felonies regardless. And overall, I did want to say that this idea that raising that threshold from $400 to $950, which is what Prop 47 did. California isn't the only state that's done that. There have been at least 37 states since the year 2000 that have done so. and The data shows that raising this threshold has no impact on yeah. property crime or law. Family. Well, and I,
4: I think, Jeff Rice, you, you said that. That's not really the issue. It's more of these other things about, uh, you know, the ability to prosecute people. But what about, uh, you know, the caller's point that, you know, they're, they're, that some sort do, in fact, keep track of these things? And, you know, I've heard other, you know, anecdotally that, you know, if you do keep track, you can... Uh, you know, whether it's a smash and grab in a car or something else that you can you can track these things. I mean, they have shown in San Francisco that in, increased police presence, as Marisa said earlier, has led to a reduced uh, reduction in retail theft in Union Square and also auto thefts uh, and break ins.
2: Look, I wish what the caller said was accurate about aggregation. It's just not the case. The law in California does not allow law enforcement prosecutors to aggregate multiple small thefts to get to a felony except in very unusual circumstances it, it's a it's a very small sliver that we can do that so the vast majority of these people who are stealing multiple times a day every day we cannot under the law aggregate those to get to a felony it's incredibly frustrating don't get me wrong i'd love to do it i would do it all day if i could but the reality is prop 47 will not allow us to, to do that, uh, and, and the legislature can't fix it without going back to the ballot. Hmm. That is the bottom line. What assembly members of Burr was talking about uh, with changing the aggregation laws, we have looked at this as DAs, and, and in fact, the assembly legislative council put out an opinion last year that said that the legislature cannot change the aggregation laws without going back to the ballot.
4: Hmm. All right. Well, thanks for the call, Michael. A lot of uh, comments from listeners. Will writes, I don't think sentencing deters crime. Let's be honest with ourselves. Crime is caused by inequality. Carlos asks, why can't cops go after misdemeanors anyway? Jeff Reisig or Marisa? Marisa?
3: I mean, they can. Like, it is still a crime. I mean, Charis, I would love you to jump in here, but I think that's part of this. And look, again, like, I I know that we have priorities and all of those things, but you can argue with all of that. But at the end of the day, you commit a misdemeanor, it's still a crime. Yeah, and
4: Charis, you know, Kubrin, as the original caller, Christina, said, like, the response in New York from the cops is very different from from what it is here. It can't all be Prop 47, can it?
6: right, so we have tools. We have existing tools that police and prosecutors can use. They need to use those tools to prosecute these individuals that are committing these crimes, even as they are defined now as misdemeanors rather than felonies. In other words, nothing in the law of Prop 47 says to police, don't make an arrest. And nothing in the law of Prop 47 says anything to prosecutors about not prosecuting those crimes. So I, I I think we need to look elsewhere for what needs to be done to fix these things. And I say that because if we roll back some of the reforms like Prop 47, that means we will go back to a time when California was one of the highest incarceration rate states in the nation. So bad that the Supreme Court stepped in and said, if you do not really reduce your state prison population by 33,000 individuals, you know, you're going to be in big trouble. And that's what started all of this. So I think we have to look back to history to understand why reforms like AB 109, Prop 47, Prop 57 even needed to happen in the first place.
4: Right. Although tightening up Prop 47 would not for example, revert simple possession of drugs from you know misdemeanors back to felonies. I mean, and a lot of the overcrowding was due to those kinds of drug prosecutions and, and convictions, wasn't it?
6: Right. So I agree. There are things that we can do that would um, reinforce the existing abilities of police officers and prosecutors. I think Assemblymember Burr's plan is great. I support Governor Newsom's plan. But my point here, larger, is that we cannot fix this problem solely by stiffening penalties and increasing incarceration. We have to look beyond the criminal justice system as a solution, and as Marissa said, There are a lot of reasons why people commit crime. A policy like Prop 47 may be one small part of it, but there's everything from economics, inequality, we had a pandemic, there's challenging police community relations. Any criminologist will tell you crime is multidimensional. So you have to tackle it from many different
4: ways. I know that, you know, the police and the district attorney's office often work hand in glove. uh, And I'm wondering, I haven't heard you criticize the police at all. I know they're understaffed in many jurisdictions, but is there something, you know, that police could do that they're not doing even within the confines of Prop 47?
2: I just don't see that in, in my, again, 18 years. I think the police are they are as frustrated as I am and, and every law enforcement officer that this problem is so out of control. But one thing to clarify on a misdemeanor, a prop because of Prop 47, any theft under 950, even if it's every day of the week is a misdemeanor. A police officer cannot make an arrest for somebody who's committed a misdemeanor unless that crime is done in their presence, which almost never happens with these crimes or somebody who witnesses it makes a citizen's arrest. And that, means that person has to call police officer shows up and the person says i would like you to go find this person and make a citizen's arrest this is the problem if it was a felony for the recidivist the police officers would have the authority under the law to arrest somebody even if the crime was not committed in their presence they could do it immediately so this is one of the fundamental issues we're facing with prop 47 and and the professor's point I want to be clear, you know, my county, YOLO, we're in the Central Valley, but we're very blue. We're very progressive. I do not want to go back to mass incarceration. But what we need to do is have accountability on the front end and then on the back end, work on other reforms like mental health courts. Hmm. courts. You have to have people held accountable at the outset. And we're not.
4: Yeah. Marisa, you know, it's interesting, you know, in years past, we've heard cries from Republicans in Sacramento that these Laws need to be changed. We need to go back to the ballot. And a lot of bills have gotten killed in committee by Democrats. Now this year, as we heard from Assemblyman Zabur and the Speaker, Robert Rivas, and the governor, I mean, they're all in on this. We're hearing a mayor's race in San Francisco centering around retail theft and homelessness and drugs. What is your take on why why this shift?
3: Well, I mean, it has become more visible. And I think, you know, you open this whole hour talking about things being locked up. We've seen, um, you know, that the videos, I think that there's a sense that something needs to change. I think, you know, what you're seeing um, from Democrats like Newsom is a desire to sort of balance that with protecting some of the reforms that that were uh, ushered in over the past decade. And, um, you know, I think a political sense that If they don't step up and do something that it could, you know, whatever does go to the ballot or does end up getting through could be sort of something that they don't agree with.
4: Yeah. And I think we also they're feeling the pressure of this. Uh, you know, amplification of videos and allegations, Absolutely. you know, on social media, Fox News, 24-7, the hellscape in San Francisco. And, uh, you know, those of us who live here said, well, it's not that bad. Uh, but there is a problem. Uh, and clearly, Democrats hear that. And I think they're concerned about it in this election. This is a fundraising period for KQED Public Radio. For more information about how to support KQED, go to kqed.org. I'm Scott Schaefer in for Alexis Madrigal. And let's go back to the phones now, and next stop is Walnut Creek, and it's Clay. Hi. Hey, uh, good morning. Um,
9: I attended a uh, chief police summit in San Francisco. We had all the captains of the precincts, plus the chief police and Jenkins. And one of the things they indicated was a big shift, that has been talked a little bit before on this call or on the show, is that in the previous times, you would, you know, Store personnel or lost prevention officers or security guards would see a shoplift and you know do a citizen 's arrest and de- and had you know detained the person temporarily until the police came. And according to Jenkins, that's all gone. That doesn't exist anymore. And, you know, based on the previous show comments, you know, prevention works. If they know they're going to get arrested, they're not going to commit the crime. And so what is one led to this lack of detention? And second, if you don't solve it when the crime occurs, you know, and they know you know, the chance you're going to get arrested after the fact, even if you change this back to a felony, is going to be an issue because You've, you've, you know, you've stopped at the point of the crime a potential arrest.
4: Um, Professor Kubin, I'm wondering, you've been critical of those who say Prop 47 is, is, is the problem here. You've been critical of the police. So what what solutions do you think would work or should work or should be tried? Or do you think this really is being blown out of proportion?
6: For clarification, not critical of the police at all. In fact, I'm sympathetic that their job is extremely challenging. Part of the issue is it's very difficult for the police to prevent crime because they typically respond to crimes after they've occurred. And so I think, you know, we have to look beyond the police to solve all of our problems around crime. It's an unfair burden. With Prop 47, though, I do feel that it's not an opinion that I have, it's not politics, it's what the data show, it's what the data say, and that's why I feel very strongly about pointing that out. I believe our policies around crime and criminal justice should be evidence-based. So, you know, that said, what do we do? What are some solutions? Well, I think there's a number of solutions identified in Governor Newsom's proposal, including new legislation that expands some criminal penalties and bolstering police and prosecutor tools. So I'm in support of that. What I'm not in support of is overhauling these reforms and going back to what we had prior to Prop 47. I also think the... um, the funding that's out there to support um, organized retail theft um, uh, um, groups, um, task forces, if you will, I think is a great way to solve what's happening locally. What's happening in one county may not be happening in another. For one county, it may be shoplifting. For the other, it's organized retail theft. So getting a um, group together to identify the specific local problem and then finding solutions locally, I think, is a great way to aid those legislative um, recommendations.
3: I just want to add, uh, Marisa, here that you know, the state, because we should separate out, you know, some you know, there's overlap, but simple shoplifting from these bigger organized retail times in the state has invested almost a quarter of a billion dollars into local police agency grants over the past few years to help fund these task force and almost every day I'm seeing releases um, from jurisdictions large and small up to the Attorney General's office the Department of Justice in California announcing big you know arrest investigations uh, just yesterday SF police put out a thing that they had arrested a woman on a flight to Hawaii with the help of the federal marshals who was you know suspected of these organized retail thefts of you know thousands and thousands of dollars so
4: ruined her vacation
3: yeah and I mean even in LA where da George Gascone is often attacked as You know, not tough on crime. Um, Last I spoke, he said they have over 100 of these prosecutions going. So there is a lot of movement around that. And I think that most of those cases, if not all, are it. most of the charges are felonies in those.
4: I wonder, too, you know, we heard the professor say, well, the data don't show it. But we've also heard and you have found in your reporting that a lot of it doesn't get reported. So it doesn't show up in the data. How significant important is that in this conversation?
3: I mean, this is always a challenge with any data, but I think especially uh, criminal data. Like we know that people like report, say car thefts, like the and i have spoken about this because you need to for insurance purposes. Um, I think, you know, you have to look at overall trends. And the overall trends is that we did see some spikes around the pandemic in a lot of different areas. Um, Again, different city to city, but a lot of the spikes we've seen do seem to be sort of mellowing out when you look at overall, both property and violent crime. Um, And, you know, I think we... We can only work with what we have. So I think part of this conversation that I think is important is is encouraging people to report this stuff and to see if we can get better data points.
4: Absolutely. Well, we had a lot of calls and comments. I'll read a couple more quickly. Richard writes, obviously, the law needs to be changed. We can send all the thieves and car burglars to prison without mass incarceration. If the criminals get short sentences instead of long ones, there would not be overall mass incarceration. And then another comment is... What's the point of having police if they're powerless to stop petty theft? And the comments go on and on. So thank you all for uh, listening, for your comments and participation. Thanks to our guests, Jeff Reisig, DA up in Yolo County. Also, uh, Sharis Kubrin down at UC Irvine. And uh, Marisa Lagos here in the studio with me from KQED. And Rick uh, Zabur, the Assemblyman from Los Angeles earlier in the hour. Thanks so much to all of you. I'm Scott Schaefer. Stick around for another hour of Forum with Mina Kim. Thanks for listening.